season right now, Advent in the church, but we're also in the season of leaves and cleaning up leaves and mulching leaves. And then a few hours later, you have to do it again because the ground is covered. Um, in this uh, season, as I was mulching leaves in our yard, I'm not just mulching the leaves and sweeping up the leaves and the sticks, but also the seeds. Uh, all these oak trees are leaving the little tiny uh, acorns, the, the seed of the tree. And it has me thinking about the, the seed that we read of uh, in the opening of the story, in Genesis uh, chapter uh, 3, there is the seed of the woman, a seed that would claim victory over uh, the serpent. Uh, so we're going to take a, a little microscope to Genesis 3 verse 15 this morning in conjunction with what we read at the end of the story in Revelation 12 in the uh, revelation given uh, to John there. Uh, just... Just a monumental uh, verse here uh, showing us the grace of the Creator God. So let me read Genesis 3.15, then we'll read from Revelation 12. So this is the Lord. He is speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then flipping all the way to Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. We'll stop there in Revelation 12 this morning. This is God's holy and enduring word. Would you pray with me? Lord God, it is a marvel that you would condescend to us in giving us a word that we can actually understand, that we can learn from, that we can apply. And I say we, Lord, but we do this only in the power of of your Holy Spirit, because it is you, Spirit, who must illumine our hearts unto what is true and good and right. And so we ask you to draw near and to do this now, 
that you would guide our understanding, that we might rightly handle your word of truth, that you would help us in applying this word faithfully as your people. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your promises never fail. You made a promise from the very beginning that this this curse would not endure forever, uh, the consequences of it, but you would send a deliverer. We thank you that living now in this place, we can come in the name of that deliverer, exalting his name together, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We offer this in his name. Amen. My uh, wife gave me a book for Christmas. Uh, actually, this was before she was my wife. It was about six months before we were married. Um, so she already knew me pretty well. She was giving me books by that time. And it was a book, a collection of letters by General Thomas Jackson to his uh, wife, Anna. And uh, he was very faithful in, in writing to his wife, even to the, the time of his death. But General Jackson is known for his courage, uh, his um, sort of ironclad will on the battlefield. It gave him uh, the nickname Stonewall at the, the Battle of First Manassas in Virginia. And uh, Stonewall Jackson's tactics are still uh, studied on uh, the battlefield in military schools uh, today. But what few people don't remember or know is that Stonewall Jackson uh, was a very tender man, uh, very, uh, very loving, uh, very faithful uh, to his church, um, faithful uh, and loving to, to his family. He continued um, correspondence with his pastor while he was out on the battlefield uh, leading his army. Uh, but most committed to, to his wife. Uh, he would write a letter, just about a letter every week uh, to, her, to her while he was uh, out uh, engaging in war. And continued writing even after he was injured uh, up to the point of, of his death, encouraging her to be faithful, uh, encouraging her to be steadfast in her love for the Lord uh, and obedience um, to him. Uh, so of all of his faithfulness to the church, faithfulness to his family, faithfulness uh, to his wife um, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fight um, for what he believed would be a better country. And we get to Genesis 3, uh, the battle line has been drawn. You didn't know we were going to talk about war and battle so much in this first Sunday in Advent, but the battle line is, has been drawn here between God and the devil. The kingdom of righteousness in the kingdom of darkness. So with the sin of Adam and Eve, our first parents, there is now a declaration of war uh, against sin and its consequences. So th- this is a battle that, that God is, He knows that He's going to be victorious over and consequently all of uh, the children of God uh, will claim victory, but it will be because of a singular seed of Eve, the first woman. Um, And so we're to be faithful. We're called to be faithful in the midst of this battle, a battle that starts here, Genesis 3, and continues to the present day. So how do we do do this? How do we be faithful in the midst of the battle? And that's what we're going to think about this morning. What does it look like to be faithful in the midst of this declaration of war? Uh, that has been made here. I think first we need to acknowledge the enemy. We need to face the enemy. We need to recognize this. 
The enemy of the woman, her offspring, is the serpent. And the serpent, serpent itself is just a mouthpiece. Even the original audience here knew that snakes don't talk. Okay, this is, there's something amiss. There's something deeper and darker uh, that this snake is representing. There's now enmity, hostility, and hatred between the woman's offspring and Satan. Again, when I use that word, when we use that word hatred here and how it's used here, it's not, I mean, we use that word fairly easily, simply. You know, I, I hate this meal or I hate it when the car, you know, makes this sound. Uh, I hate it when, when he says that or she says that. But this, this word is much, much more personal. This is a conflict between two parties who, who, who want to actually delight in inflicting pain on the other. I, I wish this weren't the case, but we see this unfolding places around the world, even here in our own land, sometimes tragically within our own circles where there, there's division and hostility and, and hatred where there, there seems to be this malice of soul that delights in seeing harm brought to those who may believe differently or live differently. The real enemy here is the, the serpent, the evil one that he represents so facing our, our enemy is facing our adversary. That's what Satan means, adversary. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, as Paul uh, tells us. And the imagery in John's uh, vision, this dragon, the arch enemy of God uh, himself and his people. And I think that's helpful for us. We need to identify this enemy so that we're not looking to attack those who aren't our enemy or that which is not our enemy. Like, like flesh and blood. Go ahead and squeeze your arm for a second. Squeeze the arm of the person next to you if you're related to them. Um, that's flesh and blood. Um, we're flesh and blood. The other friends and family who are with us this morning or those in our community. So that means that they are not our enemies. That any hostility should not ultimately be against uh, them or toward each other. Um, this battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. Now those, those spiritual forces may be at work in them, in us at times. It's important that we recognize the right enemy in our lives and that we view other human beings, other people like us as the glorious ruins, image bearers of God, worthy of respect and honor and dignity even as so many are living in darkness, the deception of the evil one. So God describes here what life will be like in a world that's been cursed. He says that man is going to return to the dust that he came from. So now there is death. There's physical death. There is spiritual separation from God and His good created order. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is the last enemy to be destroyed. The very last one. So what separates us from our loved ones? What separates us from the world that we've been made for? Even what those that we know that have been in pain or hurting for so long, they just... They would rather, rather die than live. This is not the way it's supposed to be. 
And yet in this, in this battle, in the midst of the battle, death claims no victory. So death is the, the chief consequence of Satan's work. And yet it is a welcome passage for the glorious inheritance of the saints. So we face the enemy, we face death continually. We're fighting against it, but we do not fear it. So we're looking at this question, what does it mean to be faithful in the battle? It means we need to face the right enemy, but it also means we need to fight. We need to fight this battle. The enemy is Satan, and yet we wage war in the realm of this world, in the flesh, and directly against the adversary. So the world, the flesh, and the devil is that unholy trinity that we fight. Living in a fallen world. This world rages against us. Um, disease, illness, accidents, uh, natural disasters. Um, I mean, you really don't have to live long to understand there are so many things in this world that disappoint us, uh, so much suffering that we face through no fault of our own. I mean, life can change drastically. You know this. If there's been an, an accident, we have to clean up after a storm rolls through. Some of us in this room know what it's like to be hurt or abused by another person. Or maybe even be the abuser. This is the battle we fight in a sinful world. We live with the consequences of our own sin, the consequences of those who sin against us. But we also fight this battle in the flesh. When I say flesh, I mean that indwelling sin. It's a sin that entices us, that threatens us. When the Holy Spirit of God indwells His people, the flesh is actually warring against the Spirit. In us. So we pursue godliness. We're trying to um, walk in step with the Spirit of God. It should not surprise us to watch the flesh kick and scream. Like a little child doesn't get what he or she wants. Uh, at least that's been my experience. And I try to try to be faithful following the Lord. I'm distracted by all sorts of things, hindered by all sorts of things. One of the the main ways, the, the, the ploys that the flesh uses, boy, this is something that, that I wrestle with, to, to slip worldliness into our minds under the impression of necessity. I, I really deserve this. Uh, boy, this, this would make life so much easier if I could have this. And so it doesn't take long for us to convince ourselves that we need things that we don't really need. Um, and that may actually be more harmful than good in the long run. So it's in this, this war with the flesh. This is where, where selfishness and greed and control and anger and fear and shame, they're all rearing their ugly heads. I want to just talk about you know, shame for a moment. Uh, there is a well-placed shame uh, for... Uh, you know, our sin or associating with something that dishonors God. Okay, when I sin, I hurt myself, I hurt others, I should feel a shame and a conviction by the Holy Spirit, which leads me then away from my sin, repentance, confessing my need for forgiveness. Maybe there's reconciliation that needs to be made. But then there's misplaced shame, and 
Misplaced shame is when we, we feel shame because we have failed ourselves or maybe failed another and the expectations that others have for us. Maybe people that we admire and their expectations. We don't live up to that, so we feel shame. Or maybe when we, we stand for something that's good and true. We stand upon the truth of, of God's Word. Right? We need not feel shame no matter how weak or foolish or silly we may appear to others. And that this is a battle, friend, that's only going to be won through repentant faith, a complete surrender of our hearts and our minds uh, to Christ. The only thing that's going to overflow, or excuse me, overthrow, misplaced shame. Because the flesh will paralyze us. It will paralyze us with fear and pride. If we forget the gospel for even a moment, forgetting who we are, who we belong to, so I know I could say more about that, probably should, but battleground of the flesh. Uh, so we fight the battle in the world with the flesh, and we fight against the devil himself. Um, this is where the revelation of John is so helpful in these last days, in the latter days in which we live. The, the devil is a great deceiver, the accuser of God's people, and he's absolutely enraged with the church. So we get a picture of Satan. He's, he's already defeated, and he's going out in anger against uh, the offspring of the woman. Uh, in Genesis 3.15, that the serpent must submit to God's judgment, must submit to his rule. So he's a finite creature. The devil doesn't have ultimate power, but he's still powerful nonetheless. And he attacks the righteous continually. Again, that shouldn't surprise us. And each new day that the Lord gives before His fully restored kingdom, uh, that this hostility is going to increase against God's people. Revelation 12, that the faithful overcame this hostility and the fear of death because they are confident in the gospel of Christ. That's our confidence. That's an assurance that we can have as well. A steadfast hope is the Preacher of the Hebrews has been reminding us. So we fight this battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And church family, we do this first and foremost with the sword of the Spirit of God. The sword of God's Word hidden in our hearts. We do this on our knees before the Lord. Please continue in prayer for one another. Please continue in prayer for me. Cherish your prayers. The evil one is going to use everything he can, anyone that he can, to create tension and frustration, division among the people of God. I mean, anything that will fuel pride and encourage perceptions of godliness, but without the power of the gospel. He loves that. So we're, we're, we're a target, perhaps none more so than leaders and their families in the church. Keep praying. Fight the battle with complete dependence upon Christ. That's really what moves us here to, to how I want to end. We, we face this, the enemy, the right enemy. We fight this battle all while fixing our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the people of Israel are, are frequently pictured uh, as a woman, a woman in distress. If you go to Isaiah 26 or uh, Micah chapter five or uh, four for a few examples. Uh, 
But in Revelation 12, we read that it's out of faithful Israel that the Messiah would come. Okay? This Messiah, the seed of the woman, would suffer. Back to Genesis. The word that, that we hear in Genesis, you will bruise his head, you will bruise your heel. This is, this, this is language of crushing, literally grinding away. It's the same word that's used when uh, Moses took the idol that the, the people were worshiping in the wilderness and he, he ground up that idol and, and scattered it in the water for the people to drink. Um, it was understood in the ancient Near East you know, if a snake bit you, it was potentially fatal. So the prophet Isaiah reminds us that the suffering servant, the seed who would come, this Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The Lord Jesus, the seed of the woman, would take upon himself the curse of the whole world. Despised, rejected, New cadets, when they're entering a military academy, are usually in for a rude awakening. They get on the bus, and immediately once they get off the bus, the upperclassmen are, are in their faces, yelling and screaming and hazing. And it's all to instill good you know, order and discipline, of course. Um, but it can be very mentally and emotionally exhausting, physically exhausting. You know, many cadets will, will get sick or hurt throughout the, the training. Some will even quit out of uh, frustration. Or feelings of rejection. I remember asking my dad, much, much later, asking my dad what he thought when I got on a, a bus like this many years ago, started this training. He said it was really hard. I didn't, I didn't want to see you do that. I wanted to step in and help to somehow relieve you know, what it is you were facing. You know, and what, what honest parent really wouldn't want to do that? What concerned father wouldn't want to you know, step in and just sort of cringe at the thought of you know, what their child is going through. God the Father watched His child be utterly rejected, crushed, so that we could call Him Father also. The Father did to His child what we could never do to our own, that we might have peace. When we get to Genesis 3.15, God is showing just the immensity of His grace, assuring His children you know, that this audience, they would not have a clear picture of Jesus, but they would anticipate, like we heard Katie saying earlier, just that anticipation, that longing for a Messiah figure, a human champion that would be strong enough to defeat the evil one once and for all. And as that story unfolds to the point where we are now, when we read Genesis 3.15, we can't help but conclude that this is the, the proto-euangelion, the first gospel right here in Genesis 3. So family, there's reason for hope. There is reason to rejoice. The seed of the woman has conquered that we might know joy, that we might know peace forever. See, our, our God is not, not some angry old man. He's not a, a sort of cosmic party pooper. He says, well, you know, you better just deal with it. Our Creator God delights in us. He, he, he relishes 
our joy, and he knows that that joy is only real and complete in him. That's the love he has for us. So he's going to see this story through. He's going to restore that full enjoyment in his company forever. So if there's anything in this season that brings you hope, that brings you joy, there'll be plenty of things that will try and, and steal it from you. Let it be the coming of the promised seed, the victory that he has won on our behalf. Four years before his uh, courtship with Anna began, Stonewall Jackson uh, was married and loved his wife, Ellie. They were only married for one year uh, before Ellie gave birth to a stillborn child, and one hour after that, she followed the child uh, to the grave. Uh, But I want to read for you just a, a couple of sentences that General Jackson wrote to his sister following the death of his wife. This is what he wrote. I've been called to pass through the deep waters of affliction, but all has been satisfied. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is His will that my dearest wife and child should no longer abide with me. And as it is His holy will, I am perfectly reconciled to the sad bereavement, though I deeply mourn my loss. Oh, the consolations of religion. I can willingly submit to anything if God strengthens me. I have joy in knowing that God withholds no good things from them that love and keep His commandments. And He will overrule this sad, sad bereavement for good. Faith in the promised seed is what sustains Stonewall Jackson. Faith in the one who would ultimately overrule Rule the pain of sin. Beloved, we have, we have a great enemy. We have a great enemy, but we have a greater Savior. A much greater Savior. And this Savior has set us free from the penalty of sin. He has... He continues to fight for us and free us from the very power of sin. And that day is coming soon. Well, he, will, he will free us from the very presence of sin altogether. That is the grace of our God in the promised seed. So may our anticipation just grow, our longing for his coming grow in this Advent season. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, you feed our longing through your promise. We thank you that you have claimed victory over sin in the grave. You have defeated the evil one. He is chained now for a time. Lord, keep us focused on where our true enemy is, how to fight this enemy, by the power of your spirit through your word, on our knees before you. Lord, with our the eyes of our hearts, eyes of faith, fixed upon Christ, one who fights for us, one who has defeated and destroyed the last enemy, even death. Lord, we are grateful that the day is coming soon when you who have conquered will overrule and overturn all pain and suffering. We thank you for this promise, promise that deepens our love for you this day. Uh, Send us with that sweet assurance and hope 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.